This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. Welcome back to the show, everyone. It's no secret Ron and I look for every opportunity to level up. One of our favorite ways to level up is audible.com. You can listen to audiobooks, comedy, wellness programs, and tons of other content. To grab your free Audible trial and your free audiobook, visit the link down in the description or in the show notes. In this episode of the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, we have another live episode. This time, we're at U.S. Cyber Week, and we talk to two powerful guests. We speak with Congresswoman Yvette Clark and also Laura Robbins from the Only One in the Room podcast. We talk about our space and what it means to be in technology and leadership. Let's jump right to it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to day four of U.S. Cyber Week and day three of the Daniel Initiative's BIPOC Tech Summit. I am Breon Wells, the president and founder of the Daniel Initiative, and I am pleased that we were able to put on this summit this week. We have had some engaging conversations starting on Tuesday on the topic of bias and algorithms and its impact on BIPOC and multi-marginalized communities in which we had the likes of Charlyn Stanberry, uh, who is Congresswoman Clark's chief of staff. We had Bertram Lee from the Leadership Conference. We also had a panel discussion yesterday on diversity in tech and the future of work and where we highlighted how we can make sure we're engaged and not left behind. Today, as we continue to pick up stream and we've heard from a lot of you a positive feedback, we are excited to partner with Hacker Valley Media with Chris and Ron as they do their thing. We have titled this Our Space because it's intentional for us to create these pipelines, these pathways, and these spaces for us to be able to have the conversations that we need to have so that tech is not moving without us. And in fact, that we are centered in those discussions. A few housekeeping things before I, I pass it on uh, to Chris and Ron. Number one, uh, we wanna make sure that we carry these conversations outside of this space. And so hashtag BIPOC tech has been what we have been using to make sure that we are, are doing that and promoting this. So if any of the guests today say anything that strikes you, if Chris or Ron says something that sticks with you, make sure that you, you tag that um, and put that out there. We do wanna congratulate the Daniel Initiative, Chris and Ron on a uh, hundred plus episodes of this podcast. That is a milestone, that is an achievement. And we're always looking to partner and collaborate. And so we cherish that. The final, the final event wise, recommendations that I would give is tomorrow we have our panel discussion on deep fakes, which is widely popular. And then finally on tomorrow afternoon, we are having a networking reception. We have heard from you guys that you wanted to not just talk about the issues, but be able to collaborate, meet with each other, build up this network density that we've been talking about. And I will, at the end of this, put that registration in the chat so that it's open to everyone and, and we will make sure that we get that information out to you. That being said, let's get this show on the road. It is my pleasure to introduce Congresswoman Yvette Clark. I'm a former Hill staffer and one who has worked with members of Congress. And I can tell you that Congresswoman Clark is about the people. She has been making it her business to be out there doing things and especially in tech. 
She is the vice chair of the Energy and Commerce Committee, which is a big deal. She also sits on the Homeland Security Committee. She is a hip-hop aficionado. She has been making space <laughs> for Black people since I can remember even by co-chairing and setting up the Black Women and Girls Caucus. She set up and was a chair of the Congressional Black Caucus Immigration Task Force. And so we are pleased to have you, Congresswoman. And so with that, Chris and Ron, take it away. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. And special thanks to you, Breon, and the Daniel Initiative, U.S. and D.C. Cyber Week for putting this event on. We truly appreciate it. And also our guest of honor, Congresswoman Yvette Clark. Welcome to this webinar. Welcome to our show. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Ron and Chris. This is my maiden voyage on the podcast, and I'm looking forward to a great conversation. Let me thank the Daniel Initiative and Breon for recognizing how I've been moving about in this space. I've found it quite important that we have a Black presence, a Black interest in really shaping what's happening in, in cyber and, and giving recognition to those who are doing work in this space and uplifting those who desire to do. So I'm looking forward to this conversation today because everything is cyber. And if the pandemic hasn't taught us anything, it's that we have crossed that Rubicon into a virtual world parallel to our, what I call physical world that mimics that imitates and that actually in reality uh, is, is an avatar for how we live our lives today. And so I'm looking forward to, again, your questions and conversation. Congresswoman, we couldn't be more honored to have you on this podcast during U.S. Cyber Week. For the folks that don't know who you are just yet, would love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Absolutely. I am the representative of the ninth District of New York, which is central in South Brooklyn. So Brooklyn is always in the house. And I have been in Congress now, um, finishing up my 13th year, about to start my 14th year. So that is seven sessions of Congress. I was elected back wow. in 2000. Uh, in, I was elected in 2006, started serving in 2007. And I've always had a passion for innovation policy for future facing policy. So I started my tenure in Congress on the Homeland Security Committee. I at one point was the subcommittee chair for cybersecurity, emerging threats, and then went on to ultimately get onto the almighty and powerful Energy and Commerce Committee, which has the other part of the jurisdiction of everything tech. And so now I serve on both energy and commerce and Homeland Security. On energy and commerce, I serve as the vice chair of that committee. And I am also co-chair of a working group that was commissioned by our chairman, Mr. Pallone, alongside Congresswoman Robin Kelly of Illinois, where we're going to be diving into disparities across our entire platform. It's called our disparity working group across our entire portfolio. And I'll be looking at the disparities in tech and ways in which tech 
has the seeds of racism baked into it and how we unpack that to make it a more equitable and justice-driven way of life. I've grown, I represent where I was born and raised and I currently live. So I'm a real hometown congresswoman and I'm just really proud of the, the, the constituency that I represent. It is a mosaic. People from around the world live in the ninth district of New York. We are struggling through what has been a brutal pandemic here in New York state. Uh, we're you know, trying to continue to adhere as much as humanly possible to all of the health recommendations and, and protocols, but we were really devastated by COVID-19 earlier on in the pandemic. We're, you know, trying to normalize our lives to the extent that we can right now. And again, tech, cyber, all of that has been part of that lifeline that many in our communities have been able to use in order to just, just to cope with living in, in a COVID-19 reality. The other thing I'll say it is also made it possible for us to see uh, the disparity in access to broadband, access to Wi-Fi, and the things that we must do in order to create a, an equity in the tech space. Because if you can't get online, then everything else is moot. 100%. Couldn't agree with you more. We entitled this segment, Our Space, because Ron and I on our podcast, we talk a lot about representation. We talk about diversity. We talk about inclusion. There is a need for us to not only occupy our space, but to thrive in our space. So from your perspective, what does representation mean to you? And what is the future of our space? Look like? Representation means bringing to the table an authentic lived experience that speaks to the, the lived experiences of others. And when we're not at the table, the, as the proverbial saying goes, we're on the menu. And we know that we have the talent, the skill, and the expertise to bring to policy arenas, economic arenas, just about every arena that makes up our civil society. Our space has to be not only the space that we have occupied historically, but an expansion of that space to be a part of a sort of a universe of spaces, if you will, where we've been absent, where we've been denied access in order to create a, a, a greater space for an understanding and an integration of our needs, our dreams, our aspirations. And that is the work that I do. It's, it's expanding those margins so that out, there is not a space out there that will be unique to our lived experiences and to the talent and expertise that we bring to the table that is authentic, authentically a part of how people of African descent, people of color have lived their lives and how they have made contributions that have either been appropriated or have uh, never been really given the recognition that it deserved or the reward in terms of financial reward or just the recognition that speaks to a holistic society. I'm glad you brought up the separation, especially for those that don't have access to technology right now. 
during COVID, that's a huge gap. It creates even a bigger gap of wealth and knowledge. And Chris and I, we often talk about creating a positive influence, especially for those like in cybersecurity and technology. But we often like get caught up in speaking about like the bits and bytes. How do you make a more positive environment for your, your colleagues? How do you make a more positive environment for people already within technology? But I think as technologists, we forget about our community. So I'm sure you've seen a lot. What are some ways that you'd recommend all technologists and people in cybersecurity make to their communities, especially now? I think what's important is that they become advocates. They become voices. They organize in a way in which they can impact uh, the policymakers, whether that's at the federal, state, municipal level. Because uh, one of the things, particularly in the policymaking arena, that we hear constantly, and it, it, it has become an excuse or a, a way of marginalizing us, is that, oh, we can't find anyone with this talent, this expertise. And that's why they're not at the table. And I've been hearing that ad nauseum for decades now, when in fact, we know that there are hundreds of thousands of people out there whose skills are already in line with the growth and development of technology or who are actual practitioners. And so it's being that voice and that advocate that says we need to see our our experiences baked into what is taking place in the tech space, whether it's cybersecurity or, or whether it is building out algorithms, whether it is making sure that there's no bias baked into these huge systems that have become interrelated and integrated that will lead to, if we're not careful, a, a, a transference of the type of bigotry and discrimination that we face in our physical lives being transported and baked into our technology lives. And so your voices are critical in the conversations that are being had in every legislative body right now. I really want to get to what you just mentioned about algorithms, but I'll get to that in a little bit. What I want to talk about right now is something that you just mentioned is integration of technology in our lives across the board. You mentioned COVID. That's exponentially speeding things up. So we really are tied to our devices. We're tied to our applications. I'd love to hear how you've brought cybersecurity into your work with the Smart City Caucus, with all of the other working groups that you work with. How have you taken your experience in cybersecurity and brought it to those groups? Absolutely. The Multicultural Media Caucus, which is something that I've co-founded with uh, Congressman Tony Cardenas, who is also a member of the Energy and Commerce Committee, as well as Congresswoman Judy Chu, was to really highlight uh, those who are working in the tech space and highlight the challenges that they face maybe being the only one in that space and how we can undergird those individuals as either within corporations or who are launching their own efforts in the ability to access venture capital, to be able to be at that managerial level where when technological threats 
are being are being unearthed that their critical lens to what is taking place in, in cyberspace, if you will, can be applied so that it recognizes those things that are harmful to people of color. Is oftentimes in these companies, and we're seeing it, I think, in real time with companies like, I'm going to say it, Facebook, Google, that they are not equipped with the knowledge that comes in human form, or they have turned a blind eye to the fact that so much of what uh, they use in terms of their integrated approach to providing information and platforms have been injurious and harmful. And that without our technologists engaged, we, we can talk about economic ruin, we can talk about identity theft, we can talk about all healthcare breaches, particularly now that everyone's into telehealth. It's critical that we have our front line prepared to examine exactly what is taking place, what type of propaganda is out there, and how it can be harmful to communities of color that have been excluded from the, the inner workings, if you will, of the technology space. And so it's critical. Cybersecurity takes on many different forms because technology has it really expanded its reach into every facet of our lives, whether it's paying your bills online, or like I said, it's visiting your physician online, or it's communicating like we are right now. So it's critical that we have people who are fluent in the currency that runs within communities of color at the table, making decisions, and not only making decisions, but making sure that we have the talent that has the perceptive, the intuitive, and the actual ability to pick up on trends that can be harmful to our communities. Yep. And I couldn't agree more as a Black man working in cybersecurity, working in technology. I feel like right now, more than ever, I have a even bigger responsibility. I have to make sure that I do the best of my abilities and my job to make sure that we create a safe environment for not only our companies, but for our youth even. And there's a Absolutely. lot of buzz with cybersecurity right now about the elections. Everyone is worried about that. But I think all, people are also worried about how can they thrive during this time too. So what are your thoughts on, on both of those? Cybersecurity affecting the elections, but also how can we thrive during this time where it's almost like we feel suppressed? Let me start with how we can thrive because there's so many ways in which maximizing on the technological platforms that exist or that we can create for ourselves make a, a huge difference in entrepreneurship, in connecting with like-minded partnering uh, with individuals, even developing means for economic prosperity, whether it is financial literacy, which is whether it's investment clubs, there are a whole host of different ways in which this tool has not been maximized, particularly, like I said, for communities of color. And there's so many of us who are intergenerational in that there's a generation that is so accustomed 
to brick and mortar that the idea of converting their business into a virtual uh, space has, it, 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 it fogs up their minds. But it's so simple for those who began their businesses in that space. And so it's important that we translate it in, into sort of layman's terms and get people beyond their fears because there's a whole market, uh, a, a whole generation of folks who are now doing business online. And like I said, and that's in every endeavor. I keep going back to uh, telehealth because many of our physicians have had to quickly convert their businesses into telehealth in order to keep their patients healthy, but also to keep their businesses open. These are business people as well. There are a whole host of ways. We've seen the nonprofit arena begin to do their fundraising efforts online. We've seen the entertainment industry convert their work online. And it's doable, but people need to get behind their fears. With, with respect to the sort of the, the challenges that we face right now, it's unfortunately, we're in a space where truth and the veracity thereof has been severely challenged by the leadership in our federal government. Let's just put it right there. And when uh, you have someone who has a pension for lying and creating conspiracies with a bully pulpit that is not only nationwide, but is worldwide, it becomes very difficult for sort of the lay person that's just trying to do their, raise their kids, help their kids on homework on online to discern what is you know factual and what is fabricated in, in someone's distorted mind. And that's where we're facing a challenge right now in society. It's getting back to a basis of fact and truth that we can agree to as a baseline. From there, you can then debate the, 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 the different ways in which one views that truth. But we got to agree to a truth in order to get there. And we're seeing more and more of that conspiracy theory type of thinking permeating the media platforms that we rely on to get to fact and truth. And that is problematic because the greatest example of it all is the fact that everyone's health is on the line right now. Not only right. in the United States, but worldwide. And so anything that is a derivative of the truth could mean life and death and has meant life and death. You add to that the election season that we're in. And politicians are known for embellishing, but now it's bold-faced lying and trying to find the truth hidden in all of this propaganda that's swirling around what is said out there, particularly from the highest office in the land becomes problematic because I, I, I said this when Donald Trump was first uh, put into office that someone who lies like that will ultimately become just noise. And it's almost like the boy that cried wolf and the, he's cried wolf so much that 
when something is really imperative for people to pay attention to it, they will be so glossed over from the barrage of mistruth, misinformation, and bold-faced lies that they won't pay attention. And, and it becomes, as we've seen, catastrophic. So that's the other side to the technology. And, and that's not something that necessarily cybersecurity can address, but the platforms need to be able to police themselves. And if you're going to put information out, there need to be disclaimers, there need to be a whole host of other ways in which people are able to discern fact from opinion from bold-faced lies. Absolutely. I, I would love to expand upon that. When you talk about truth, that's something that we need as people, it's something we need more of as a country and around the world. When you did your work with the Algorithmic Accountability Act in 2019, I would love to hear about how bias works its way into technology and how it can affect our space in the future. That is a, a piece of legislation that I am full force behind. And, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that the tech space is so predominantly populated with folks who are so almost monolithic in their approach to, to their, their business models, to, to their platforms, and baked into some of, most of the programming, let's put it that way, are people's human experiences. You have to program based on humanity. And if your humanity has an experience that is limited, that is extremely limited, what you code, what you bake into an algorithm is based on that. And so it doesn't get, it's distorted in that it doesn't give the whole truth. And if you're biased in any way, if you grew up focused on a theory that has either been debunked or that you can't come to grips with, then you will program things based on that distortion. And we've already seen how that has played out, particularly when it comes to stereotypes, when it comes to just the type of discrimination that we face in, in the physical world. So for instance, we knew during the financial crisis of 2017, 2018, that people were sold mortgage products that were intended to put them into financial ruin. When in fact, their credit ratings would have basically assigned them a prime mortgage. But because there was this sort of discrimination this blanket, Black folks don't pay their bills, so let's give them this product. A lot of people were caught up in something that had they had more knowledge, more information, and weren't targeted for discrimination, they may not have faced that financial crisis. We saw that in redlining. That's a federal policy. We're not going, we're going to give these people, just by virtue of who they are racially, the worst land and, and property, and steer everyone else to some of the more 
more affluent areas. And we're going to box these people into this space. And we see redlining taking place online. We see search engines that based on what your habits have been online will steer you away from things that you are eligible for. So it's not colorblind. It's not racially neutral. It is based on people's actual experiences and how they take that into the lab, if you will, and cook up some discriminatory stuff that could hurt generations to come and will hurt generations to come if we don't disrupt it. And that's what our Algorithmic Bias Accountability Act is, is meant to do. It's disrupting it before it gets hardened and truly baked in to the infrastructure that we're all using to live our lives. That we, many of us have no choice. Now you have to pay your bills online. You have to pay your phone bill. Everything is pushing you to doing it online. Yep. Congresswoman, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for being on this conversation with us. Everyone in attendance, I'm sure, took away a lot of nuggets. And we're going to share this across all of our platforms because the words of wisdom that you've conveyed to us today are worth their weight in gold. For the folks that want to keep up to date with you and all of the things that you have going on, what are some of the best ways that people can do that? They can follow me on uh, Instagram, at rep. Yvette Clark, Instagram and Facebook. And I can't remember what my Twitter handle is, but my name is Yvette Clark. You can find me there. And that's Clark with an E because we have another Congresswoman whose, whose name is Clark as well. She doesn't, her name is Catherine Clark, but she doesn't have an E at the end. I'm West Indian Clark. Perfect. We just dropped those into the chat for everyone to follow you and stay in touch. And we'll also put those in the show notes when we release this as a podcast episode. But thank you so much. And it was such a pleasure to talk to you. I look forward to having further conversations with you, gentlemen. And for your listeners, I hope that they'll see our office as a portal because we really want to get in the aggregate our folks who are involved in cybersecurity who are involved in all things tech, mobilized so that we can, again, as we move through this pandemic, as you see the HEROES Act and the CARES Act and all of these huge bills coming out of Washington, know that within those bills are a whole host of opportunities, particularly in the tech space, the expansion of broadband, the expansion of Wi-Fi, uh, spectrum sales, all of the infrastructure that is required for us to have a seamless transition into a fully embraced tech life is, is, is in, or in those packages. In addition to that, for those of you who are climate, climate change fans, we are doing a lot of work in the smart city space to be able to build out an infrastructure for renewable energy and, and electric infrastructure that we have to transform to in order to get our lives in order and to survive what is happening as we experience climate change. All of that is technology-based. And we wanna make sure that all of our talent, skill and expertise are at the table so that our communities are not left in the dark, literally, and that we are moving forward, giving 
our, our technicians and young people the opportunity to thrive in, in these industries. So thank you once again for having me. I look forward to further conversations. Chris and Ron, you both rock. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Congresswoman. Feel free to stay. We have Laura Robbins coming on next. We're going to be talking and more about our space just in a moment. Hi, how are you? Hello, hello. Thank you so much for being able to join this segment of U.S. Cyber Week. It was so serendipitous that we just met yesterday. Yesterday, yes. Yesterday. <laughs> and we were able to make it happen. You're here. We're getting ready for an outstanding conversation Super excited to have you on. For the folks that don't know who you are just yet, even though a lot of people should, what are you doing today and how did you get there? So yes, I'm Laura Cathcart Robbins. I am a freelance culture writer and I'm also host of the podcast, The Only One in the Room. And as I was telling you yesterday, the podcast came out of a, an experience I had when I went to a 600 person writer's retreat, a three-day retreat given by Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love and Big Magic, and Cheryl Strayed, who wrote Wild. Reese Witherspoon played her in the movie. <laughs> and I, the, they are two of my literary sheroes. I really wanted to go and just soak up anything that they were going to be giving out that weekend. And there were 600 people there, and I was the only Black person. So when I returned from that was, I returned on a Thursday, I wrote a blog piece about it on Friday and someone who I showed it to for editing purposes said, you need to, this should be published. You need to submit this somewhere. So I submitted it on Sunday and on Monday it was live in HuffPost. And what happened after it went live was pretty phenomenal. It went viral. And I got a series of direct messages and comments. There were 568 direct messages within 24 hours Jeez. for pe people who were responding. And I thought they were all going to be Black people because my piece was written from that perspective. But people who understood what it felt like to feel other, to be alone in a room full of people responded. And they were everywhere in the world. They were every age. They were abilities, disabilities sexual preference, sexual orientation, all these different spectrums were responding because they understood what that felt like. So the podcast was born there. We wanted to tell those stories. And those are the stories we tell on the podcast. That's phenomenal. And <laughs> in fact, maybe not to the same degree, but in fact, our story is quite the same. We ended up going viral on LinkedIn and we decided to use that momentum to do something, to make an impact. Yes. What, what was that conversation in your mind? You're like, this thing is catching fire and there's so much momentum behind it. What can I do with this and how can I make a difference? What was that conversation like with yourself? It was interesting. I, I don't know if I got a chance to tell you this, but I was actually taking a podcasting class at the oh, time wow. that the article went viral. I didn't know anything here. about podcasting <laughs> wow. and we had to do a project for the class. And a lot of the responses I were getting, I, I got were hashtagged the only one in the room, which I thought was a very clever hashtag. I had not heard mm. of it before, but apparently a lot of people had. So for my project, I decided to make the podcast the only one in the room. And at the end of it, we got to record a trailer at our local public radio station, KCRW here in Los Angeles. And I had someone snap a picture of me while I was recording the trailer and I posted it and I started getting guest submissions 
I'd love to be a guest on your show. I'd love to be a guest on your show. And I'm like, I, I don't have a show. <laughs> I just had a project for a class. Yeah. And then somebody that was a longtime friend of mine, who's also a podcaster said, maybe you should have a show. So that's what got me thinking, oh, I can parlay this experience and make it even bigger and more accessible and explore this new realm, which wasn't new, but it was very much new to me. Podcasting is rel relatively new. Right. I've learned a lot in the last two years. This was October, 2018 that I wrote the article. So we launched in April of 2019 Incredible. and we've been going ever since. So that was the conversation in my head was like, what am I going to do with this podcasting? Yeah, that's amazing. Just being in the right place at the right time. You had the article and you're already going through the podcasters course, which is excellent. <laughs> we had to go through the school of hard knocks. It was very difficult, <laughs> <laughs> but we've got a lot of mentorship along the way. And one of our mentors said to us as influencers, as podcasters and as leaders, it's our responsibility to make our team and our guests, the star. So what yes. is your strategy as a leader and a podcaster to make the stars of the only one in the room? That is a really good question. And that's actually one of the reasons I was drawn to Chris's talk yesterday when he was just discussing about, the. I think the topic was making your guests comfortable. Was that what mm -hmm. it was, Chris? It was, yeah. Yeah, and I was just like, wow, that's so much, it's so similar to what I do. The I actually did a, I did a, a panel called How to Get Your Guest to Say Yes at mm. Podcast Movement last year. And, and a huge part of it is taking care of my current guests and making them have the absolute best experience. And a lot of my guests are referrals from my current guests. What I was told in the beginning was to hit on my friends and see if they would come and be guests on the podcast. And I have a few friends that have name recognition and or a lot of followers. So I went to them first to lure them onto this podcast that didn't exist yet. And we record in seasons, 10 episodes per season. So we record in batches and then release them all, boom. Mm -hmm. So I was busy kind of recording that first, those first 10 guests and nobody had heard it. But I, one of the rules I made with myself is that I'm not going to ever exploit anybody's story for the sake of my podcast. If I get somebody on and it gets dicey or they're uncomfortable, we so don't have to go there. I know they have a really good story they can tell, but I'm absolutely going to defer to their comfort level. Mm -hmm. And I follow up with my guests afterward, especially if it's been really, if it was a tender interview, if they were particularly vulnerable, I'm going to follow up probably more than once and make sure that they're okay and that they felt comfortable. I, I don't ever give my episodes the, the raw edit to a guest to listen to. But if they call me and say, hey, I wish I hadn't said that, is it possible to take out? I'm absolutely doing it. Right. It's, I don't, I want them to promote it. <laughs> so <laughs> I want them to be really comfortable with the episode as it is. I, I think it's a little dicey to give somebody editing um, control over a guest, rather editing control over an episode. But, and as far as, as getting them to actually come on the podcast, I do a ton of research. I try to watch everything where I can, or, or listen, if they haven't done, if they haven't done interviews on television or on the web, I'll listen to podcasts they've done. I'll read things about them. I'll, I just try to get as much information as I can about them. I've had a couple of interviews where the chemistry hasn't been good. And that's on me because I needed to do a pre-interview with that person first, or 
I needed to see from their other interviews that we may not be a good match or they're looking for everything they've done or just more profiles than my stories on the only one in the room. They're all like personal essays. So there's a hook and I've written a lot of personal essays, so I know how to do that. And that's what I'm looking for. And if someone just wants to come on and pitch their business and that's all they've ever done, it's probably not a good fit for me. Absolutely. Completely relate to that 100%. And we take ownership as well. If there's a bad episode, it's really on us. We're the hosts. We control the environment. And it's our job to amplify that story. Yes. The only one in the room. That's such a powerful title. And it's so relatable to so many people around the world, which is it's just absolutely perfect. I shared it with my wife and she was like, wow, what a podcast name. <laughs> so incredible. And I looked at a lot of the guests that you have on are exceptional people. But I think people forget that even though they're exceptional and they're in the spotlight and they have their they're, they're famous and people know who they are, they're influencers. There was still a time where they were meeting up against resistance. They had to be the only one that was in that room. And that's hard work. That's hard work to get a seat at the table, to Mm -hmm. be better than the next person, because you have that moniker, you have that weight on your shoulders that you have to overcome. And what is that like for you to be able to hear all those stories? And what are some of the best ways that people have persevered to have their seat at the table? Wow, those are good questions. The First of all, what it's like for me to have someone sit across from me and trust me enough to tell me the stories, especially if there's been any type of abuse, and that can be sexual, that can be domestic, it can also be racial. And so if they've been abused at all, and for them to come and share that with me is a tremendous honor and a privilege, and I I never take it lightly. I also, I have the... So far, I've been so super curious about my guests that it's just such, it's so cool to just sit across from them and hear these stories. I want more. I'm not trying to get through the interview. I'm not trying to move them to another subject. We're here to talk about whatever the agenda is, and I want to hear all about it. So I I know that's helpful for me, but it's also as far as getting them to open up, but it's also just so nice for me. I I I sit there across with them and I can't believe that I get to do this, that I get to interview them and be privy to these really important, sometimes tragic stories. And, And I do seek those stories out, but I also seek out stories like the only one who refused to be tokenized, which is Misha Youssef. I don't know if you know her. I don't. She's amazing. You should totally look her up. She is, she had a, a podcast called Tell Them I Am. And the tagline was, the voices are Muslim, the stories are universal. And so she would tell all the, she would have her guests tell these stories that could be anybody's stories that happen to be Muslim people. She's from Pakistan originally, and she's American now, but she is now running Higher Ground, which is the Obama's podcast company. And and she's looking for stories and just, she's phenomenal, but she, at her previous employer, She would not be the token Pakistanian, would not be the token Muslim. She wanted to have equity and equanimity across the board, and she really fought for that. So it was was not a tragic story. It was actually a really triumphant story, but so cool to bring to my listeners to see exactly what you just said, that this is what she was up against. This is what she did. 
she went to Twitter is actually what she did. It's a great story. And she got the attention of somebody higher up than her boss and they changed the format for her. And, and so she won and then now she's where she is now. But I love stories like that. Just one other story really quick. Jasmine Savoy Brown is another episode that came to mind when you were talking about that. And she's a black actress. And our, our, the thrust of our conversation was her bringing her own makeup and her own products to set because they weren't equipped to do black hair and makeup. Yeah. And just what a travesty that is in 2020 that they don't provide someone. So she is the only one in the, her makeup trailer, the only one on set that doesn't have hair and makeup, the only ones all through that process because she's black, which doesn't make any sense to me, but it was a story, again, it's not tragic, but it needed to be told. Wow. Yeah. There, there's always, I think, an origin behind what brings people to listening to stories. For me and Chris, we actually had a guest on, her name, uh, blanking on it for a second, but she came on and she helped us find our superpowers. And one of my superpowers mm-hmm. was listening. And I think that's what kind of led me to starting a podcast in the first place. I would love to hear what is your origin story for gathering the story and, and amplifying the story? So I think that's twofold. The I love that your superpower is listening. That's so good for a podcaster. <laughs> so I, my, I'm a storyteller. I'm, I've been writing since I was a little girl. I love books, fiction, nonfiction. I love stories. I curate stories. I tell stories. I actually told stories at the moth in one, like I am a storyteller. The interesting thing about podcasting or the format that I chose is I'm not telling my story. My story is a little bit in the beginning, but what I'm doing is telling other people's stories, which is not something I'm entirely comfortable with. So I really had to figure out how to get the guests to tell their story without me interjecting too much. So I needed to become a, a good listener and just really be a guide for their story, which was a different role than I had ever assumed before, except I'm also someone who is 12 years sober. And in the program that I'm in, there's a a sponsor, sponsee relationship. It's like a guide and people who are guided and you guide them through the program. That requires a lot of listening, like real listening right? and not interjecting advice or opinion or judgment. And so for doing that for the last 11 years, I think has really helped me to sit down opposite somebody and really listen without projecting any of my own stuff onto it, without interrupting with questions that may or may not change the experience for them. I want them to go and give them the dignity of their own experience, tell their own story, and me just guide them back to the subject when necessary. Yeah, that's outstanding. The, the, person that Ron was speaking about was Laura Garnett. Yep, she came on and, and dissected us. She dissected me. My superpower is taking something from a dream and bringing it to reality. Oh. And my purpose is to amplify the stories of humans all around the world and just share that beauty with folks. Mm. And so podcasting works perfectly. If you would have told me two years ago that two black men in technology were going to have a human centric podcast and have listeners in over a hundred countries. I would have said you were crazy, but here we are today. And it's, it's just been an unbelievable journey. How important has it been for you to make that type of impact on such a big stage? Oh, it's, 
it's odd. It's odd to say that it's important to make an impact for me because it feels like it's anti-humility <laughs> to say that. <laughs> but at the same time, what happens when I write an article and I write about three things. I write about race, I write about recovery, and I write about relationships. And when I get that feedback back, thank goodness you helped me, blah, blah, blah. That's, that is huge. It's, it, it, it's, those are the coins that I want. Like those are the coins that will make me rich in the right way. I like other coins too, but (laughs) I really do value those with with podcasting. What happens? Like we had a, a guest two weeks ago whose daughter, her four year old daughter and her husband were killed by a distracted driver in a horrific car crash four years ago. I see my eyes are getting moist when I'm thinking about it. And she has, her older daughter um, was not in the car with them. And so it's the two of them now. And she goes around and talks to teenagers about distracted driving. The response to her episode, not just from people who had similar losses, but people who didn't report distracted drivers, who have seen people weaving in and just didn't call the police, people who admit to distracted driving themselves. I checked my texts. I wasn't pulled over. I wasn't at a light. I'd had a couple beers before I left the house. I didn't know if I was over the limit, but I was only going four miles. These are the responses we got from that episode. And I would share them with her because they weren't all on social media. Some of them a lot of them actually were messaging me directly. And of course I asked her permission before I shared them with her, but that's my boyfriend, who's my producer and my co-host. We just kept hugging each other and going, wow, look at this. Look at what's happening because we interviewed her and put her story out there. It's going to maybe save some lives, you know? That's beautiful. And it's beautiful that people reach out and say, due to your podcast, I learned something, whether it's from you or your guests. And I'm sure like just by talking to so many amazing people that have these unique stories, you're a teacher in your own right. You carry these stories and you teach others and have a lot of messages. And we just had a question come in and it says, sometimes people who are the only one in the room will struggle at owning their own narrative authentically. What steps can people take to own their own narratives? For me, I'm the only one in the room in so many ways. I'm someone who didn't graduate from high school. I'm someone who didn't go to college. I'm someone who lied about having a diploma and a degree in order to get jobs in my 20s. I'm someone who's divorced. I'm someone who had to go into recovery because of alcohol and drugs. I'm a single mom. Like I have all these things that make me an only one in the room. And not all of them are troublesome. Not all of them bring me shame or embarrassment, but the ones that did my writing about them and sharing them with people were what, that was the healing. There's a Swedish expression, a problem shared is halved. So you cut your problem in half the moment you share it with somebody. Right. I, and I think that you have to share it with not just the right people, but someone who's empathetic or has that capacity to be empathetic almost everybody can connect with the feeling, even if they can't connect with the circumstances. So we titled this segment, Our Space. And Mm -hmm. we love that name because it it represents so many different things across diversity, representation. For you being so prominent in 
podcasting or us being technologists and so many different industries across the board. How do we step into our space and thrive across all underrepresented populations? What are some of the best ways that you think that people can do that? For the for marginalized people to step into their yes. space? Mm-hmm. Yeah, boy, I think the first thing I did to try to step into a larger space, a space that I very much belong in, was to become very curious about everything and just get this thirst for learning, which is why I was in that podcasting class, which is why I took a blogging class and a personal essay class and a storytelling class. Not that you have to pay to take classes in order to do that, but go target somebody. I message people all the time. I ask people for informational interviews. When it wasn't the pandemic, I was going and meeting with people at different agencies just to see if they would talk to me about their clients and get to know me so that they want to throw some clients to me when things came up. And sometimes I didn't even want their clients. I just wanted to know how they got there, especially people of color. Mm -hmm. Most people were willing to meet with me without knowing anything about me. They knew that I always asked them for a coffee because people can do 20 minutes. Nobody's going to give me two hours. That's a lunch. Or would it be okay if I email you? I have some questions. I'm trying to put this together. I definitely have to have my own. I I, I need to have my goals in mind before I approach them. This is what I'm trying to achieve. I'd like to be better known in this field, or I'd like to start a career in this. And I see you have one, or you are well-known in this field. Would you give me, would you be willing to give me 10, 20 minutes, not 10, 10 is too short, 20, 20 to 30 minutes of your time to just talk to me about it. And when I've actually gotten some guests that way, not from just from the agents, but from the people that I've gone after for those conversations. And I, I really have lost my fear. I go to mixers. I wish there were more types of mixers online. Mm-hmm. I know there are Zoom mixers. They're just a little odd to me. But when we did in-person mixers, I went to all of them. Is you know, inconvenient as they might've been across town. I wouldn't know anybody, but I would know who was going to be there. I would find them from their picture. I would look at my phone. Yeah, that's them. (laughs) I'd have my card ready and I would go over and introduce myself. And maybe that would be the extent of it, but I would ask if I could contact them later. Mm -hmm. And slowly, but surely I, I created a name for myself in this space where no one knew me even a year earlier. Wow. Laura, Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come onto our podcast and chat with us. For the folks that want to learn more about you, your podcast, and all the things that you have going on, what are the best ways that people can do that? The very best way is to go to our website, theonlyonepod.com. I'm at Laura Cathcart Robbins on Instagram. We're also at the only one in the room on Instagram. I'm Laura Cathcart Robbins on Facebook and Laura C. Robbins on Twitter and at the only one pod C1 on Twitter. You got all of those perfect. I just (laughs) dropped them into the chat. I was like, the C1, you got it. (laughs) I really appreciate it. We'll make sure we drop all of your resources in the show notes when this comes out on all the streaming platforms. But it's been great talking to you, Laura. Oh, it's been great. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it and love what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. With that, thank you, everyone. We're going to pass it over to Brian. This has been such a special event for Ron and I. This is, again, going to be across all of our platforms, and we'll be sharing it out on social media as well. And with that, I'll pass it over to Brian.
Thank you. And thank you, Chris and Ron. This was absolutely phenomenal. I enjoyed listening into the conversations, both with the Congresswoman, as well as with Lauren Cathcart Robbins. I want to encourage everyone, as we have been with each and every one of these sessions, please follow the guests that you saw today. Follow Chris and Ronald. Follow the panelists that we have had in the past, because uh, we do this to provide not just information, but it's there's power in networking. There's power in collaboration. And, and with that in mind, I definitely wanted to give a huge shout out to Byron Davis and Atlas Technology, who was responsible for uh, putting this meeting of the minds together. But with that being said, I am Breon Wells. I want to thank you all for your time. I want to thank you for your commitment. And again, thank you, Chris and Ron, for this powerful partnership. Thank you. Thank you.